the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Then you go to Romans 14 that talks about the weaker brother or the weaker sister in the faith. And so what you have to think about is this. Number one, um, it's not our job to fix everybody. We can't. It's a big world and our job isn't to be the religious police. There are people who, who eventually believe another gospel and serve another God. We can't fellowship with them, but we can be kind to them. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. Today we'll be taking a slight detour from our typical verse-by-verse study of the Bible to hear a live question-and-answer service that took place recently at Hillside Church where Pastor Keith fielded questions from the congregation and the community live during the worship service. Now here's Pastor Keith to begin this live Q&A broadcast. And that is the ultimate act of love. Uh, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, is uh, God speaking to us uh, in human terms. In the Bible you have uh, literary and rhetorical devices like uh, hyperbole or comparison. And just like when Jesus says, unless you hate your mother and father and father and mother, unless you hate your children, you cannot serve me. Now, do you think he's commanding you to hate your parents? No, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. You see that in Exodus uh, 20. You see that in uh, uh, Ephesians 6. What's going on here is relative to Jacob and Esau. I mean, Jacob was the first, uh, Esau was the firstborn, but Jacob got the birthright. Does that mean God woke up that morning and God doesn't sleep or slumber and decided just to mistreat Jacob or Esau? No. So God has loved all people. He sent his son to die. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, the heavens are proclaiming the glory of God day to day pours forth speech. There's no place where their voice isn't heard. He has revealed himself to us through nature. So that every human being, as it talks about in Romans 1, 18 to 21, knows there is a God and is without excuse because he has made himself apparent to us through the handiworks of his creation. So God has loved everybody, but God hates sin. And when you choose sin over salvation, you suffer the consequences. And uh, 
And so, but there are the comparisons and the hyperbole and the word pictures that he gives us because he condescends to speak to us as we do to toddlers in terms and ways that we can understand. Word pictures, like when Jesus says, I am the door, we understand that we, he's not saying that he literally has hinges or a knob, but he is the way to heaven. He is the way into the sheepfold. And when Jesus says to Jerusalem, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, how long I've desired to gather you under my wings like a mother gathers her chicks. We understand he's speaking figuratively. Now, Pharaoh is kind of an interesting character, essentially a genocidal maniac, right? People always say, well, he was so mean to Pharaoh. Really? Pharaoh had, like people do today in our culture, forced or tried to force the post-birth execution of Hebrew boys. They were to be abandoned by the Nile River, which basically is expo- uh, subjecting them to exposure and to crocodiles, right? He told the, the Hebrew uh, midwives to kill the boys when they were born. And so the hardening basically is like this. God backed Pharaoh into a corner and, and made him show what was already inside him. Pharaoh was, a, was an arrogant, murderous man. And just like when you put pressure on a tube of toothpaste, what's inside comes out, toothpaste, or you take a bag of tea and put it in boiling water, and you get tea, right? Now, the water doesn't make the tea, it releases the tea. And God, to demonstrate his glory and superiority over the gods of Egypt, these demonic, satanic, pantheistic, idolatrous idols, uh, he, he displayed his glory, and he backed Pharaoh into a corner to where Pharaoh could either back down and say, Yahweh is God, but he instead said, Who is the Lord? I don't know him that I should obey him. He gave him every opportunity to repent, but he made it so he could not repent on his terms. He only brought out of him what was inside of him. So to some extent, yeah, he backed him into a corner, and he forced him to show who he was, and that's the hardening term there. But it wasn't like he made Pharaoh do. Pharaoh was just this nice, innocent guy who God decided to beat up on. And we need to understand that. A lot of times people use this as an excuse to say, well, you know, there's no well to it. God showed Pharaoh mercy and grace upon grace because he gave him every opportunity to repent but not save face. And that wasn't good enough for Pharaoh. Okay, next question. Can you explain Christian unity At what point do we break fellowship with brothers and sisters who are weaker in the faith? For example, how do I deal with people who embrace the teachings of Bethel Church in Reading without offending them? Boy, okay. Can we get an easy one? No, just kidding. Okay, I'm going to start at the end. Bethel Church, right? Obviously, uh, we've even stopped playing the music here. Uh, That is uh, more of, it's, it's, it's morphed into almost a cult, you know. False prophecies, false teaching, extra biblical revelation. Uh, and so, yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, we, then you go to Romans 14 that talks about the weaker brother or the weaker sister in the faith. And so, what you have to think about is this number one, um, it's not our job to fix everybody. We can't. It's a big world, and our job isn't to be the religious police. There are people who who eventually believe another gospel and serve another God. We can't fellowship with them, but we can be kind to them. I would not want to be in a small group at Bethel Church in Reading. I would not want to attend a worship service at Bethel Church in Reading. I would not want to do anything that in any way, shape, or form would affirm Bethel Church in Reading. I think that's 
pretty easy uh, to see for most discerning Christians. At the same time, we meet people, there are Christians there. There are people who do not know any better. You know, there are people who are growing in their faith or just newly saved and they don't know what they've gotten themselves into over there. We want to be nice to them. There are people, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are there. But there comes a point in time where you really just can't agree with them. And so I don't know if breaking fellowship is the right idea. You can still be friends. You can invite them to church. You can study the Bible together. You don't want to be part of that movement. You don't want to be associated with that group. But we always want to be very careful about looking down on people and about judging people without taking the log out of our own eye so we can take the speck out of theirs. Now, Bethel Church is one of those rare exceptions, you know. Um, But at the same time, you don't want to break fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ. You might not attend their Bible study. You can, you know, it's like this. You have first and second and third level doctrines like salvation by faith alone and Christ alone. So there are churches that might baptize infants. There are churches that, you know, Presbyterians, conservative Presbyterian churches, they don't see things the way that we see things. They have their commitments. We have our exegetical commitments. They're still brothers and sisters in Christ. I can go visit their church and worship them. I can't join that church probably, you know. So I just, you have to be careful here. And this is where discernment, there's not a one size fits all. When you have a group that is that far off the path, clearly, you know, there's something definitely, definitely wrong there. And you don't want to subject yourself to that kind of teaching. But you can be friends. You can talk to them about God, maybe even try to steer them. Breaking fellowship is usually treating somebody as an unbeliever. If you follow the Matthew 18 progression of Matthew 18, 15 through 17. So I just say you want to be careful. You want to be patient because we were all someplace else spiritually five minutes ago, five hours ago, five months ago, five years ago. But as far as fraternizing with heretical groups, whether it's the Mormons or Bethel Church or anything like that, that's where, that's, at some point, people move out of the realm of Orthodox Christianity. So that's, that's the best I can do on short notice. Yeah, okay. All right. How should believing family members who clearly know God's truth respond to loved ones who are living an alternative lifestyle? Shunning, love and spite, ignore, confront. Okay, uh, a couple of things, you know, uh, and I'm assuming this comes in, in the context of maybe somebody living out, living together, maybe a heterosexual couple living together outside of marriage. Uh, it could be uh, homosexuality or transgender sort of things. It's like this. You don't want to do anything to affirm the sinful behavior. Now, there's no magic formula or easy answer. But uh, if you affirm the, the sinful behavior, you're actually making an unloving, uncaring decision to make them think they're all right. Could you go to their wedding if two guys and two girls were getting married? I don't think so. I can't. Maybe you can. And you know, that's where your conscience, you have to read the word of God, say, what does it say? What does it mean? What do I do? You know, you have the 2 Corinthians uh, 6, uh, 14 about being unequally bound together or unevenly associated with an unbeliever what fellowship does light have with darkness you know what partnership does christ have with balal you know come out from among them you have to be really careful i think you can have over for thanksgiving your your uh your relative you know i think you have to decide whether you want to expose your children or grandchildren to them uh uh shunning you know uh i don't know about shunning um 
but you definitely don't want to approve of the lifestyle. You don't want to call that which is abnormal normal, that which is sin righteous, or even infer it. Uh, You do want to love them, benefit them through righteous words, uh, actions, and deeds. Uh, If they're a son or a daughter, they're still your son or daughter. If they're a brother or a sister, sibling, whatever, they're still that. You do want to confront them, speak the truth in love, as it talks about in Ephesians. Uh, But uh, yeah, ignore. Here's the thing. You know, sometimes somebody is in your face. Sometimes somebody is doing everything they can to provoke you. Sometimes This is where discernment and wisdom comes into play. This is why reading Proverbs is a good thing, you know. Uh, you don't want to answer a fool according to their folly because you become like them. So if they're, if they're persnickety, do you want to be persnickety back? Well, you've just lost the high moral ground. But right after that verse, it says, answer a fool according to his folly so that he will not be right in his own, wise in his own sight. And that's the tension. You don't, want to, you don't want to use the tactics that the world uses, but you don't want to just turn a blind eye towards sin. And that's what makes it so hard. I, you know, some of you know my brother, who died at 37 of AIDS, was a homosexual, and he lived that lifestyle. And, uh, and there was always a... And, and my family at that time, and including me, were, were unsaved. And there was this how to make this work. But there are some things you just can't compromise. And so what you have to do is to figure out the difference between preference and principle and stick to your principles and determine whether if you are too flexible with your preferences that you uh, compromise your testimony. There's just no easy formula. And you know, that's why you're in a church. That's why you're part of a church family because we need lots of wisdom where two walk along together and one falls into a ditch, the other one can pull them out. You have people here who may be going through similar things, small group, people in your small group, your ABF, your Sunday school class, you may talk to pastors to get wisdom. But you have to be really careful what you approve of, you know. Uh, you know, it's really difficult, you know. Uh, somebody wants you to use pronouns that don't really apply to them. You know, if somebody changes their name legally, you can call them anything, almost. But then when you get into the he, she, kind of it, them, they, za, stuff, you're starting to uh, affirm their sin. And so it's hard. It's difficult. And I get that. So again, you know, I can't give you a, that's a, probably a series too. But so, so be faithful to Christ first and foremost. Love the sinner, but do not tolerate the sin, you know, and just try to live out your faith in an uncommon, grace-filled, godly, and loving way. Okay, next question. If men wrote the Bible, how do we know they didn't make mistakes? great question classic uh and i and i can say this because i know the person that wrote this one they wanted me to talk about this this is your classic red herring that the culture throws at you that progressive christianity uses you know uh that these things you know these men were lived in a previous time the bible is the word of god right jesus said the scriptures cannot be broken proverbs 35 and 6 talks about every word of god is true Every word of God is tested, you know, don't add to them, don't take away, lest the Lord rebuke you and you be show, shown to be a liar. 2 Timothy 5, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for, for doctrine, for uh, instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. God doesn't make mistakes, and he can take common, everyday people like you and me and do uncommon things. He inspired the scriptures, as it talks about in 1 Peter 1 20 and 21 that no prophecy of scripture is our own invention 
but men were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write the Word of God. And so this, this question is really gives you its own answer. I don't believe the Bible because men wrote it, so don't even add, you know, and so my friend who gave this to me, thank you, um, you know, he's making a point. The point is, it's the Word of God. It either is or isn't. So if, if they made mistakes, the whole Bible's false. Jesus isn't the Son of God. Jesus isn't God, the Son, Savior of the world. Just, you know, so that's how that kind of works. So, yeah, God used human instruments to write his perfect word. Okay, next question. What is the best way to explain to Catholic family members the differences between Catholicism and Protestant Christianity? How do you recommend handling these topics with people who aren't always fully aware of the doctrines of their chosen, chosen church or denomination? Okay, great. Whew. Okay, there's a, there's a bunch of questions there. Number one, Catholicism is not a denomination. Okay, it has a has a different gospel. It has a different Jesus. It has a different God. Okay, um, Catholicism simply stated believes that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our original sin, and then we do things after that to stay saved, to maintain a good relationship with Christ, with God through doing. Penance, uh, sacraments, was a penance, penance is one of the sacraments, things like this. Sacraments are things that we do that have saving qualities. That's why we use the word ordinance here. So Catholicism believes that Jesus opens the door to salvation, but you've got to get yourself through it. Christianity believes that Jesus not only opens the door, but conducts you as the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. Catholicism believes that there have to be, has to be many sacrifices after salvation, the sacraments, the mass, which is the re-sacrificing of Christ. Hebrews, the Bible teaches that Christ paid the once and for all sacrifice. So the simplest explanation you can give them is that in, in, in their faith, that Christ only opens the door, but you've got to achieve something. That's the religion of human achievement. Whereas we believe that God achieves for you what you could not achieve for yourself through grace. If you just had one verse to give to him or one passage, and it's the same in the Douay-Rheims version of the Bible, which is the old Catholic translation. It's the same in the New American Bible. The modern Catholic translation is you are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God. Okay. All right. Next one. Should Christians be one-issue voters, i.e. pro-life? You often say that you vote pro-life and vote for issues, not personalities. Great question. Uh, I don't, I'm not a one-issue voter, okay? Uh, that one issue makes it pretty easy to, deter, to separate the wheat from the, ta- you know, the chaff, the sheep from the goats. Uh, you know, um, I do vote for issues, not personalities, you know? Um, I do say that. That is true. But let's just look at, let's just take... For example, right now, probably the most Christian hostile administration in the history of the United States. They are pro-abortion right up until the minute of birth, maybe even afterwards. They are pro-homosexual. They want to strip religious institutions of tax-exempt status, of uh, the freedom of conscience. You know, so these aren't single issues. I guess if you had to summarize it, what group would I vote for who's going to allow me to worship God freely? without penalty and without persecution and which group will let me worship God and won't punish me and I think it makes it pretty clear the one issue thing is another kind of a cultural red herring that we see today and I'm in no means suggesting this person is offering up a red herring but the differences between the two factions that fight between each other for control of our country are pretty radical you know 
Um, the president said he would strip Orthodox religious institutions of, of their the benefits. And we, we're going to get a chance to really worship God in the days ahead. I don't know when or how, what executive order or what will come when, but basically, would you give to support a ministry if you had no tax break? You know, so it isn't a one issue deal. There's now here's the thing. And there's a there's an invisible follow up question to that, I'm sure. So whose side has God on the Democrats or the Republicans? You know, um, neither. The enemy of your enemy is not your friend. If you go to Joshua chapter one, verse five. Joshua is preparing to lead the armies into the promised land. They're on the plains of Moab around 1445 B.C. And the armies are all lined up. He's standing there and he looks up and walking towards him is this individual armed to the teeth. And he sees him and he says, are you for our adversaries or are you for us? To which the individual replies, neither. I am the captain of the armies of the Lord of hosts. Take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. Do not confuse Republican or Dem- obviously there are two degrees. These are they're both about power. Sometimes one group's uh, agenda more closely aligns with ours. But do not confuse either for being on God's side. It's naive at best. Work reckless at worst. So there you go. Right. I mean, yeah. Next question: Is there one gospel presentation that trumps all others? Sometimes I hear people talk about developing a gospel presentation or a gospel speech. What do the scriptures teach or prescribe? There is no one size fits all because, you know, people are as different as fingerprints. But what you have in the Bible are some really good examples. You have Paul on Mars Hill. You have Philip the Evangelist. You have different people, you know, doing different things at different times. It helps to have common elements, which we've given you before. God, the Bible, man, sin, salvation, Savior, right? God created all things. Uh, all things come from him. He created a perfect world. He created us for fellowship, us to serve him. Uh, the Bible tells us about God and reveals God to us. Sin is mankind turned his back on God. What God offered him wasn't good enough, and so he charted his own course, and the rest is history. Man sinned against God. The wages of sin is death. And man cannot make himself right with God. So God sent his son to make us right with God. To provide us a way back as a race, as a species, whatever you want to call us. And that's Jesus Christ, the only way, right? There's no other name given under heaven among men by which you can be saved. Jesus said that about himself. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. But that salvation is a gift. And that's what you, so those are your elements, You know, that Christ died for our sin according to the scriptures, that he rose according to the scriptures, and that he will return. But you're going to present it in different ways. Some of you are Ray Comfort fans. Ray Comfort presents the Ten Commandments, and he gets people lost so that he can get them saved. He says, are you right with, oh yeah, I'm right with God, I'm a good person. He goes, you ever say anything? Well, yeah, well, it says you shall not steal. What do you call somebody who steals? A thief. You know, and he does that. But here's the problem with that. If that were your only presentation and you're dealing with a 21st century unbeliever who is thoroughly postmodern in his or her outlooks, they don't care about the Bible. They don't even know what the Bible says. And so that may not work. And so Paul uses a different, you know, I've walked you through this thing on Mars Hill during the uh, Proclaim series. He connects the, the concretes to the abstract, the physical to the spiritual. There are a lot of different ways to share the gospel, 
but you make sure you tell the whole story of reality. So there's no one size fits all. The Bible doesn't prescribe one way and one way only. It shows many examples of many men and women in different situations and circumstances. So great question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is truth, Father. Sanctify us in truth. Lord, help us to live sincere, full-born, full-blown Christian lives as we be one, as we be a, a real person who loves Christ, as we try to bring others to Christ and build them up in their faith so that they can do the same. Father, I just pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us today here on the program. And if you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening. Every child.